Happy New Year and a very warm welcome back to the game podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're back with you now twice a week until the end of the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. Yes, indeed. And joining us in the studio today, it is The Times' very own Molly Hudson. Coming up, we're going to discuss more Mourinho antics, new manager bounce for West Ham and Watford. We are going to start with the game at the Emirates between Arsenal and Manchester United. But before that... How was your Christmas, Gregor and Molly? Magnificent. Nice was yeah. it lovely? Back home to Edinburgh for the first time in about five years. So really? A lovely time, yes. Oh. You? Yes, I had a fantastic time in Ireland, apart from uh, shopping deliveries that went wrong, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> Molly, how was yours? Lots of football. Lots the of The best football. kind oh. of Christmas. Good. I'm glad to hear it. We all had a fabulous time and a good Happy New Year. Happy New Year. To everybody as well. Okay, let's start then with the game at the Emirates. The back pages of the Times today. A lift-off for Arteta against Lane United. As Arsenal kicked off the New Year in style with a superb 2-0 win over Manchester United, handling Mikel Arteta his first victory in charge of the Gunners. The win moves Arsenal to within three points of the top six in 10th place in the Premier League, while United's recent surge towards the Champions League places stalls, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's men remaining five points off fourth. Gregor, I know, I know you watched this match. What did you make uh, of the performance? A lot of encouraging signs, definitely, mm-hmm. for Arsenal. I think probably their best performance, apart from maybe the odd half here and there of the season, really. The first half in, in particular, they mm. were really impressive. And the first thing to say is that they just have a clear structure, a plan, things that were very much uh, conspicuous by their absence um, under Emery recently. And... They're also just a, a spike in hunger and desire, and players who, with kind of players like Ozil and Aubameyang and Lacazette and Pepe, the front four in particular, obviously have, have bought into what uh, Arteta has asked them to be doing so far. And Lucas Torreira, I thought he was magnificent. Xhaka even had a had a good game. Um, and right throughout the right throughout the pitch, I think Kolasinac was a real threat in the left. Uh, David Luiz and Socrates were both really good. But there is a but here, I think. You know, people easily get carried away and sort of think, yes, this is, you know, Arteta is the, is the chosen one and he's going he's gonna to fix everything for them overnight. I don't think that's the case. I think these players aren't good enough to play like that consistently. I think mm-hmm. if, you look at, if you look at Man United, in fact, look at what Solskjaer did when he first came in and just sort of put a smile on players' faces. You know, Socrates said after the fun is back yeah. and Louise, is, Louise was sort of echoing those sentiments. And that that lasts only so long, and only has a kind of effect for for so long. So, um, it's hugely encouraging that Arteta has. You can see the fruits of his labour on the training ground already. So, but Arsenal still need to sign new, a new defence. Really, I think. Mm. Um, and there are big weaknesses in that team. Still, kind of. I don't think I don't think they've got the ability to play consistently like that. So it's like I say, hugely encouraging that Arteta seems to be someone who who can get his, his sort of methods and his philosophy over on the training ground in quite a short space of time. But Arsenal still need to strengthen. It's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, people were commenting on how much Meza Ozil was smiling. And, it, and yeah. as you pointed out, some of the players suggesting that the fun is back uh, in the squad. Do you think then this is just a case of new manager bounce? Or have you actually seen any change in the Arsenal team that we saw play yesterday? Is there a new energy about them? But is that then because of the new manager bounce? No, I think it's both. I think, you know, there, obviously there is a, a bounce. We've spoken about if Emery's got a lot of baggage 
from what's what's been going on over the last eighteen months and and you know Louise was pretty damning actually in fact afterwards saying that we believe in Arteta's philosophy we believe in the work that he's doing and the way the style of play and, and whatnot which obviously means that they did not believe in <laughs> in what Emery was doing mm. and so there is a, there is a, there is that bounce but at the same time the way that Arteta sets them up to be aggressive to press from the front you know sort of a lot of the traits that he's that Manchester City have have got under Pep Guardiola and that, where he's worked that's clear and you can see the front four working in a way that they have not for a long long time so that's hugely encouraging for Arsenal it's whether they're willing to do that for the long term you know it's They'll do that early doors, and as I say, when Solskjaer came through the door, a lot of players looked transformed. They had a smile on their faces as well, and quickly they regressed to the mean. These players are, you know, they started pretty well under Emery. It's, it's having those performances on a consistent, regular mm. basis is the is going to be the question mark. But look, it's early days, and no matter what, it was very encouraging to see that they've got a plan. It's Gregor was saying there, Molly, about the fact that yes, there's some encouraging signs there. But, like everyone, they need an overhaul when it comes to that squad, and in particular in defence. Yeah, I think so. And I think a probably a recurring theme of the, the two games that Arteta has taken charge of now is the, the players are quite tired, particularly in the second halves of the game, because they are being expected to do a lot more than they were previously. And, you know, as Gregor said, it's, it's whether those players are actually capable of that, because not, not every player in that squad probably is. Um, and I think that, you know, obviously it will take time their fitness levels will probably improve naturally with, with what Arteta's expecting from them, um, particularly that sort of five-second rule that, that we've all talked about that um, Arteta learnt from Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, that, that intent to, to win the ball back. But that takes up so much more energy and sort of desire than they were expected to show for a lot of the season. Um, but I think particularly in defence, regardless of how many they score, you still always think they've got a mistake in them. Um, and I think you just kind of need, we've, we've seen with the, the big clubs over the years, they've had that defender that, that is solid. And I'm not sure Arsenal quite have that at the minute. Yeah, I think, you know, Arsenal, it's just easy for, for supporters to get carried away. And it was mm. a great, you know, it was it was a really, the first half in particular was excellent. And Louis, as I say, Louise and Socrates were excellent. You know, they played like proper centre-halves. But we've, we've seen it for so long that they 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 can't do that on a consistent basis. That's they're intense, and there's a reason they're intense. Absolutely, yeah. Although the, the one thing to say is that a kind of characteristic of Arsenal in recent uh, months really has been that the game always descended into like a basketball match. It was so stretched, and even <laughs> you know right at the end it started to look that way a little bit because you know they t- as, as Molly says they tired a bit, but they were much more compact in, in sort of between the lines mm-hmm. and particularly uh, in the back four. So there was a lot of encouraging things definitely. Well, in contrast then, United couldn't cope with Arsenal and were comprehensively outfought and outplayed on what was a disappointing outing for a Solskjaer's side. They had won back-to-back games coming into this one, but they lost and not only did they lose, it was an underwhelming performance. Why are they so inconsistent, Gregor? I think it's just just one step forward and two back. That seems to be the recurring theme for for United. It was a pretty amazing stat on, on match of the day that I think in the games and they've had more than 50% of possession they've only won once so it's like Manchester United now are now a team who wants the other team to have the ball that's mm-hmm. incredible like Solskjaer you know we've spoken about that they, they play better against the against the teams who attack them because it leaves space for them to to counter attack but when when that's not the case then they've, they've no ideas they've no ideas to break 
how to break the, the opposition down. Man United have got a, a really dangerous front three with great potential, but at the moment they have no one who can feed them the ball. If Pogba's not playing, they don't have anyone to that can release the release Rashford or James or, or Martial, who make pretty intelligent runs. But the other, uh, as well as that, Pogba, the players always look better when they're not available. You know, <laughs> it's kind of his absence has been. People look at it now. He came on against Watford and he did really well, to be fair. And Pogba is a talented player. He can play these searching passes. But you now look at Watford because he's in, you look at Pogba because he's injured, and you think. Yeah. You know, oh, we need Pogba back. But you look Pog- at him as a saviour. Yeah, but Pogba, Pogba was very inconsistent himself. So there's just real kind of real issues and in, in a lack of creativity really in, in Manchester United's ranks. And also at the back, I thought Maguire was Maguire was awful. I think you talking about players that you kind of perhaps miss them more when they're not in the team. Scott McTominay. Yeah. Was, he seems a massive miss for Manchester United whenever he hasn't played. They just kind of really miss that sort of calm breaking up the play but also he, do, he does have the ability to, to get the ball to those attacking players even if it's just you know a ball into space for them to run onto which you know we've seen in the past couple of games against the big teams sometimes that's all they need just to get them through going on the counter but they just had nothing of that he does look forward in fairness yeah McTominay gets the ball he does look forward but I mean even I think even on the, the full backs you know nowadays full backs are such an integral part of an attack uh, of, of attacking play Juan Bissaka was spoken about how good a, a defender he is, a magnificent defender, but his final ball has just has been non-existent so far. And Luke Shaw doesn't look like he's... He looks like he enjoyed Christmas as well, I think. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know. He's, he, there's a lot a lot of issues with Manchester United and, and also just the question mark whether Solskjaer is the man to, mm. to make the improvements as well. We mentioned Paul Pogba, of course. He wasn't in that game at the Emirates and Gary Jacob writes in the Times today that Pogba will have an operation on his foot on the advice of his people. That's after Ole Gunnar Solskjaer confirmed that after that defeat to Arsenal. Solskjaer has said that the midfielder has been told to have surgery immediately and we will be sidelined for up to a month. Uh, the United manager delivered the news only a day after saying that he expected Pogba to play against Arsenal and Pogba is understood to have seen his own medical specialist and that United then arranged for scans to be taken which confirmed to the club that surgery was needed. Now, we all know Pogba's agent, Mino Raiola, Uh, he's not one to shy away from anything. Uh, He's been pretty vocal in his criticism of how United have handled the player in recent days. Solskjaer said that United would not take the risk of delaying the operation, even though you've mentioned Molly Scott McTominay, another midfielder, a key player for United, is out for up to eight weeks with knee ligament damage. Gregor, have you ever heard of players having their own medical teams and giving advice to the team that they play for? Well, not in uh, in the football league where I played, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, not really. It's, it seems to be a, a level of player, a superstar mm. level. You know, Ronaldo employs his own medical team, essentially, and sort of masseurs and whatnot to to kind of keep him in, the, in, the, in peak physical condition all the time. So these elite players... I think it probably is a growing trend that they have they have their own sort of specialists as well that they turn to. But there's got to be some degree of conflict in that. I mean, Manchester United are not, you know, this is a huge club. I'm sure they employ the best medical expertise that they can. Um, so it's just another sort of it's just another example of Pogba's sort of. I don't know. It seems like he's bigger than the club in one sense, but his performances don't always match up with that. I just think 
I think really he doesn't want to be there. I don't think he wants to be there. And I think uh, it'll be interesting now if he has the operation and he's out for a month, whether that's that would affect any potential transfer. It seems like Manchester United and Solskjaer still want to keep a hold of him. But I think it's looking increasingly likely that he'll leave. It is interesting, this story, because, you know, if you go back to the days of when Sir Alex Ferguson was in charge at Manchester United, Molly, there's no way that he would, I, I'm guessing, but no way that he would want a player to have their own medical team behind them. And this has to be a conflict of interest, surely, because who has the final say on all of this? Yeah, and I think listening listening to Gregor there and about Pogba being big in the club in that era nobody was bigger than the club and mm. nobody would have been able to be bigger than the club and it's probably a scenario that wouldn't have happened but hey we're in a new decade and is this is this the trend <laughs> going forward that there's going to be um, this growing influence of people that, that aren't players and aren't from clubs and I think um, Jose Mourinho mentioned it a couple of weeks ago with Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen about them signing deals and actually that it's not the player preventing it and it's not the club it's this third party mm. it's the agents that have such control nowadays and I think you know that has to be really difficult for the clubs because from the outside for us you think if a player wants to stay and a club want them to stay it should be that simple but that just isn't the case anymore um, and I think particularly with Raiola and Pogba generally it's kind of been a theme of his whole entire career at United doesn't mm. it there's you know constantly if, if things aren't going well it's you know Real is there sort of saying things whispering kind of adding to the to the problems really and I'm sure Solskjaer's kind of a bit fed up of it really One thing I would say is that you know as much we've said that Manchester United desperately want Pogba back in the team and he could be getting kind of pressured to play and, and you never know only he really knows what is yeah. how his body feels and, and so from a player's perspective sometimes you can be getting a little bit of pressure to play when you think you're not entirely 100% fit so you know you know, we never truly know what is going on with Pogba and whether he does need this operation or what and, mm. and uh, so that's one thing to bear in mind but it just all feeds into the same kind of narrative of Pogba being bigger than the club he plays for and not really entirely sort of happy at Manchester United. And so should that be a worry to Manchester United fans? I mean, Pogba's been a worry to Manchester United fans for, for quite a long time now, really. You know, when he plays and when, when, when he's at his best, he's, he's, he's a huge addition to the team and he's a great player, but he's not at his best often enough. And there are just always sort of rumblings of whether he's kind of, whether he's fully happy at the club. Uh, some, you know, Josie Mourinho had, had, had difficulties with him. Uh, I don't think you can say Solskjaer's had difficulties with him, but he's not he's not played often enough, and he's not been he's, the noises that emanate from either him or his or his agent have not always been the things that supporters want to hear about about a player that plays for their club. So, um, as I say, I think he'll I think he'll be gone. If not in January, he'll be gone in the summer. Danny Ings' ninth goal in his last 10 games gave Southampton a 1-0 win over Jose Mourinho's Tottenham on the south coast yesterday. The results see Spurs stay sixth, but the problems mount for Mourinho as Harry Kane was forced off with a leg injury just seconds after having a goal disallowed for offside. With Mourinho then booked after arguing with the Saints goalkeeping coach Andrew Sparks over what is understood to be annoyance at time-wasting tactics. Before we get on to Mourinho's antics... What's gone wrong on the pitch for Tottenham, do you think, Molly? I think yesterday was probably a culmination of a lot of things kind of coming to a head. I mean, not just for Mourinho's time in charge, but 
under Pochettino as well. These are the same kind of problems, you know. It's the over-reliance on Kane. And that's that's been a, a, a symbol of Tottenham for quite some time now. And then just to, to kind of compound Mourinho's misery, he then gets injured in the worst possible way for going for, for, going for a ball when he's offside. Um, then you add in that over-reliance to Hyungmin Son, obviously being um, being suspended in this three three games that's that's been a really big miss mm. I don't think Tottenham probably realised how reliant they were on him and his increase in talent and importance to the team over over the over the months um and then it's just that they just can't defend at all um and it's 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 quite amusing actually watching a Mourinho side <laughs> so incapable of defending it's mm. really really odd shouldn't be the way no it? it shouldn't be the way but he's you know, he's spoken of it and he's kind of said, look, we can't defend. I know that, but I don't want to give up the attacking. But the problem is that the attacking isn't really working either. And, you know, that's probably for the aforementioned, you know, suspensions and injuries that are only adding to that. So I think it's it's a bit of a mess, really, isn't it? Really early on. It's <laughs> it's come very early. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Harry Kane there. Tony Cascarino in The Times today has, has pointed out that uh, Kane may well be tired and that it was an injury waiting to happen. He's played every minute of Spurs' five games since the 15th of December. Uh, the problem, so Tony says, is that they need a backup for Kane amongst other signings. So, Gregor, has Mourinho perhaps overplayed Kane and that's what's caused this injury? Yeah, and the kind of ridiculous schedule of so many games over the festive period. Uh, you just kind of... These games come around, come around and you just wait for for players to drop like flies. The Newcastle game was just something ridiculous. Four players they lost in that game, I think. Um, so, yeah, it's partly to do with the fixtures and an over-reliance on But uh, we have to say, who's, who else is going to play? That's, that's Tottenham's problem. It's been their problem for a long, long time. People used to take the mickey out of Lorente a little bit, but at least he was a diff- even alternative. You could you could throw him uh, throw him up top and, and play a bit more direct. And, and actually, the way Mourinho's playing, that would probably suit Spurs a little bit just now. So they don't have anyone else. So they, I'm not surprised they're, they, they're playing him. I and Mourinho wants, needs to get points on the board and, and get off to a decent kind of start because it's, it's as Molly's saying, it's, he's having real real troubles keeping the ball out of their net. And, and uh, so they need Kane just now. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, yeah. There's. The, I know he's not going to have much money to spend, but they need to. They need to add defensively, particularly. You know, Alderweireld signed a new deal, and he's he's looked off it. He's still a good player, but he's he's looked off off the pace for a while this, for this season, really. Uh, and Vertonghen at left back is is not really something that's going to work in the short term or the long term. And Sessegnon is a good player. He's talented, but I I don't think Mourinho's even said he doesn't want to play him at left back. He wants to play him further forward, um, and what his position is is a, is kind of it's a bit of a, a grey area, really. So um, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, I think, for Mourinho, and uh, I think January they, they're going to have to spend some money. Well, we'll talk about maybe who they need to bring in in just a moment, but uh, Alison Rudd has written about Mourinho and Spurs in the Times today, and she joins us now. Uh, hello, Alison. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. So, you have written about Mourinho. Before we get to talking to you about it in particular, one of the big incidents in the game saw Mourinho yellow-carded for arguing with the Saints goalkeeping coach, Andrew Sparks. Uh, here's what Mourinho had to say about the incident in his post-match press conference. I think the yellow card is fair because I was rude, but I was rude to an idiot. And, uh, and for, some reason, for some reason, I was rude. 
But I was. And because I was rude, I deserved the, I deserved the yellow card. So... He's admitted he was rude to an idiot, as he says, after admitting he clearly deserved the yellow card that he was shown during that 1-0 defeat at Southampton. What did you make of, of the incident, Alison? Um, oh, he's a master of giving with one hand and immediately taking with the other. Um, <laughs> whenever, you know, how, how to make an apology not an apology within within one second. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was fascinating stuff. He was very quick, Mourinho, to the press conference. Some journalists didn't get there in time. Uh, usually, you have quite a lot of time to get from the, the stands down to the to the bowels of the stadium to, to listen to the managers. And he was in very quickly. Um, I don't know why he would particularly want to do that because sometimes, I mean, managers often say they'd like more time to calm down after a game before they speak because they can say things in the heat of the moment but while they're still emotional. So Mourinho gave one of these um, straight after the action press conferences where he was very calm and spoke very calmly and in that sort of sullen, non-smiling way he has. But, I mean, he said things that I, I can't believe when he woke up the next morning he was pleased to have said. It, it's just very strange. He, and, and, and the incident that made him so cross was, was... I don't even know why he got so annoyed about that in particular. He had a bugbear about Southampton time-wasting. That seemed to be a theme throughout the game. He accused the ball boys of being coached specifically to waste time which doesn't make sense they weren't they weren't doing that um they were they were very um aggressive and, and running hard and looking for a second goal they were not sitting on their one goal lead at all they weren't playing that way the incident he got he got cross about was um Southampton were going to take Ings off and Ings was saying but I'm okay actually I think so they were a bit like oh what do we do and they noticed that Spurs were also preparing to uh, to bring Kane off. And Kane had to come off. He was limping. He had a hamstring problem. Andrew Sparks, who was in charge at that point of, of writing down the numbers and dealing with the, with the fourth official, said, well, why don't Spurs make their substitution first? Because we, we, we might not need to bring Ings off. Given that Kane was truly going to come off and it was almost an advantage, I think, that he, that he got seen too quickly, um, Reno decided to interpret that as a deliberate to hold up the game and therefore give Spurs less time in which to find an equaliser. I mean, as conspiracy theories go, it, it, it's a little far-fetched, and I, I don't know why he interpreted it that way. Um, but he is, you know, he's been he's been the master of selection for, for throughout his career. He's, he's somebody who, when they don't perform well, rarely holds his hand up and says, yes, that didn't go well and neither did that and that's set to his core. He will, he will try and divert attention to, to other things and he, he, just, he just gave a masterclass in it. I wonder, Alison, should Tottenham fans be worried then that we are already seeing the classic Mourinho? He had spoken after he left Manchester United of sort of going away and, and sort of spending time about re-evaluating himself and com- coming back as a new manager but it seems in a very short space of time it's, it's classic Mourinho that's back. Well, it, it depends which sort of element of him you're talking about. There's two two elements. One is his public persona and the way he behaves in press conferences. And, yes, the fact that this is, as you'd call it, classic Mourinho in, in terms of deflecting and mm. saying things that really make you sit up and take notice and think, wow, you know, that's a fantastic quote. I must, I must make sure I've got that spot. I mean, I had to, I had to sort of triple check he used the word idiot because I couldn't quite believe that someone would would say that. So 
And there are very few managers who will do that to you as a, a journalist, make you think, did I really hear that properly? That's classic Mourinho. Did he mean when he said he'd reflected on his career and he was coming back in a, a different way? Did he mean that? Or did he mean he's reflected on the way that coaching methods are always evolving and that the managers that are successful do so in ways that he did not when he was successful? Is he, is he a different type of coach? Because I, I sort of got the impression when he said he was reflecting on his career, it was more that he didn't like the way it ended at Man United and that he fell out with people. And mm. the it became an argument about his personality and his, the way he was depicted as someone who just needed to spend, spend, spend. And that sort of, sort of ran out of control, I think, the way he, he was perceived as, as, a, as a coach and the power he wanted. And in those terms, I think if I was a Spurs fan, I would... And if I'd mind too much that he is still the master of deflection because the players were so disappointing that I, if I was a person, I'd want to talk about something else. I'd be quite <laughs> happy for him to talk about ball boys and VAR and the manners of people on the opposition bench because I wouldn't want to reflect on, on, on just how slow and sluggish and I mean some of them looked porky I have no idea what happened to them over Christmas it did it did look like they were they were in the sort of 1940s or something and decided <laughs> that, that they were allowed to go and have 25 dinners or something because it did not look like Southampton looked leaner meaner keener they looked like the team that were the cutting edge of sports science and making sure they're kept completely and utterly fit and done the right thing to recuperate between all the you know the, the, the matches that come thick and fast this time of year the Spurs just looked like they weren't even expected to turn up on the South Coast. It was very strange. Alison mentioning there, of course, the Tottenham players enjoying their Christmas, much like Luke Shaw, which Gregor mentioned, and the common denominator of is Jose Mourinho. You have to wonder, don't you? <laughs> anyway, I move on and I jest, obviously. But we talked about uh, or mentioned the need for, for Tottenham to strengthen this month with the transfer window reopened now. Where do they need to strengthen? Molly? I think first job has to be the defence um, because it, everything Spurs fans would have been excited about under Mourinho you know regardless excited of excited may not be the word well, yeah regardless of, regardless of how upset they were that maybe Mourinho was coming in or Pochettino was leaving the positive was you can defend under Mourinho and we haven't seen that so it's like a lose-lose situation at the minute um, and I think that the main area has to be fullback. I think we've seen you know with Liverpool and we were talking about United and how it's kind of stopped them progressing, that they've struggled in full-back areas. But Tottenham have been terrible. Serge Aurier is certainly not a strong defensive fullback, And he's kind of picked up going forward under Mourinho, but he's certainly not one to be relied on in a big game in a 1v1. Any winger would, winger would be licking their lips at the prospect of facing him. Jan Vertonghen... Again, you wouldn't you wouldn't back him as the best fullback in the world. I think it's really interesting what we were saying earlier about Ryan Sessegnon. Mourinho specifically said, "I'm not going to play him as a fullback. He's too young. I want to develop him, develop him going further forward and follow the path that Ashley, Ashley Cole took under Mourinho at Chelsea." And then, like two weeks later, he's having to play him as fullback because even a Sessegnon that isn't quite developed and hasn't got much experience is better than the other options he has available to him at the moment. So I think he has to strengthen there. And then I think the other 
well, I suppose there's quite a lot of priorities actually when you think about it. <laughs> Centre midfield, um, and Dombele is as exciting and as brief flashes of brilliance we've seen from him. He's not very consistent. It, it, it seems to be the injuries, and we we know mm. that Mourinho expects quite a lot of his players. Usually expects them to kind of play through a bit of pain, a bit of injury. Clearly, with Ndombélé, he's already getting frustrated, and it's only been a matter of weeks uh, with him. And then, you know, as as we said earlier on, you've you've got to have some kind of backup for Harry Kane. I think, as Gregor said, you know, you kind of want a Lorente figure who, if you are struggling in a game, you can kind of get it upfield and have a have a target man because we, we've seen Mourinho teams over the years are, are very good at utilising that. It's not easy though if you try and sign someone to be a number two to Harry Kane. It's kind of, mm-hmm. it's not it's not that alluring, is it? Um, I think Molly's nailed it. Really, I think fullbacks are are certainly a priority. I think, you know, Davidson Sanchez is, is, is a player with, with potential and he he could play for Tottenham for, for some years. Um, and Aldevirad and Vertonghen, Vertonghen as a centre-half should be, you know, he's much more comfortable there. Um, and, you know, Tottenham have, they have options in, in midfield, but it's just not, it's just not worked for them so far. And Dombele has, as, as Molly said, he's got, he's, he's got real potential as well. Um, but Mourinho's not happy with with him for some some reason. He's not he's not convinced of his commitment, perhaps. Um, and and Harry Winks, you know, I, I, he's kind of disappeared. Really, I was going to say, well, almost already forgotten about him. And yeah. it's been a matter of weeks since he was this amazing prospect that England was starting to get into the England team and looked like the best midfielder at Spurs, yeah. and has now kind of been forgotten already. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of I, I had to do a piece when Mourinho first, and he was a player I singled out because mm. I just don't think he. I don't think he's gonna he's gonna feature for him really very much. I, th- I don't think he's kind of an imposing enough figure. Mourinho's always got a big, a big kind of almost centre half esque burly kind of presence that sits in front of the back four, um, and one who's an athlete and he's not and Winks is neither of those. So um, there there, is, there are lots of lots of areas you could say that Spurs have to strengthen, but I think fullbacks is is certainly the priority. But obviously they they do have Carl Walker-Peters, they have one Foyth, players who have played under Pochettino at Tottenham. And I know uh, maybe uh, Foyth has, has played under Mourinho as well, but they're not getting a regular chance to get into this team. It seems as though he's ruling them out as well. Yeah, I mean, Walker-Peters was injured, wasn't he? But he, but um, Foyth, I mean, Foyth has been good in spells, but then he, he's sort of quite error-prone too. He gives away, he seems to... Be the, the root cause of goals quite often when he plays. I don't, you know, I'm not convinced by either of them long term. So, right. um, I think they need to. I think they need to sign fullbacks. Um, and I'd have, you have to say as well, Deli Ali sort of in the last few weeks, he's looked a bit sort of pedestrian in terms of he's not. He's not been a. He, he was dynamic against West Ham. You know, he's come getting the ball in pockets of space and 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 running at at the back, uh, the back line and sort of. Exchanging with Kane and little one twos and stuff. There's not been any of that. There's not been any sort of interplay around the opposition opposition box. Um, so it's not. It's been pretty pedestrian stuff for for Spurs of late. But let's give some credit now to Southampton. The win over Spurs means they've now collected 16 out of a possible 24 points since losing to Arsenal in November. Their rise has largely been down to the form of Danny Ings in front of goal. Only Jamie Vardy has scored more Premier League goals this season than Ings. 17 in comparison to the 13 for the Southampton man. And Ings has nine goals in his past nine Premier League starts. What do we put this form down to for Danny Ings? He seems rejuvenated. 
I think he looks leaner and fitter. Mm-hmm. Just seeing him interviewed after the game, and even in even his face, you could see like he's in great shape, probably the best shape of his career. And I think he said he mentioned that he's worked very hard to be in that kind of condition. And I think that's obviously paying off. He's he's always been, you know, when he's when he gets a chance in front of goal, he takes it. He's in around the six yard box. He's he's pretty pretty lethal. Um, but obviously that goal that goal yesterday was was something a bit different for him. A brilliant finish, flick over. I think it's Alderweireld's head and a left foot volley. So um, no, he's 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 a he's a talented striker, and he's just, he's had bad luck with injuries. Um, which have kind of slowed down his career and his and his time at Liverpool in particular. So, um, it's great to see him getting a run of games and 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 scoring consistently because he's he's certainly lethal in around the six yard box. Do you see Molly the potential of Danny Ings sneaking into the England squad on the form that he's on? I think it's difficult because we were saying earlier there's a couple of players that are able to play up there as a striker, but when you think of a tournament team and taking a squad, they're also capable of playing in other places. Whereas with Ings, you know what you're going to get. He's he's lethal in, in and around the box, but you know he's, he's not going to do what Rashford or Sterling can do and go and play on the wing for you. Um, so look, I think if he keeps this form up for the rest of the season, I think you can't rule him out. I think if, if he keeps this going... Um, but you know he's he's never going to be first choice. I suppose he could he could sneak into the squad if he can keep this going. I think it's very hard to kind of look past him if we assume that Jamie Vardy won't come out of retirement, international retirement. I think you know that probably plays a big part in it. Harry Kane's fitness as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, I don't think you can rule him out because he's been in such good form. But we also have half a season to go and so much can change in that period of time. If we'd have said at the start of the season, is Danny Ings going to make it into the England squad? I don't think we'd be sat here having a serious conversation about it. So, so much can change over a short period of time. Not that long ago, we were speculating over the future of Ralph Hasenhutl. They were going on a terrible run of form between sort of September to, to November. But he's really turned things around, much in part due to Ings's form. And they've... Um, won five of their last eight. They're up to 12th in the table, five points clear now of the bottom three. Do we expect Ings's goals to keep Southampton up? And in some ways, is that bad to be reliant on just that one person to keep you up? I think like his goals will go a long way to it, but I think that's possibly a little harsh on the rest of the team. I think Nathan Redmond has been brilliant in yeah. that period of time as well. That's true. And I think Hassan Huzel himself deserves great credit because... You know, to be absolutely hammered nine nil, and then you know that was one of four losses in a row. The club, you know, in other circumstances, the club could have sort of pulled the trigger on him there. Um, and you know, there was a lot of hope at the start of the season. I think the way that his team, the way he, the vision he created for Southampton was, you know, this high pressing, full of energy, dynamic team, and we really weren't seeing it. And I think we have more in the in the last in the last six weeks or so because they've. They, they seem to be much more industrious in terms of the way they press, um, and I think really they just they have have an ings that kind of to finish off the the chances they were creating um, has been the big difference. So I think I think Hassan d- deserves a lot of credit as well. I was at Southampton Watford. Um, I think it was like September October time, and both teams were in the relegation zone, and the atmosphere at St Mary's was pretty toxic, and it already felt like a, a massive six pointer. And in in the end, um, Southampton won that game, and Kike Sanchez Flores got sacked at Watford. 
Um, and that did prove the turning point for both of those teams in different ways. But I just remember the, the relief from Hasenhutl. He just he, he didn't even want to be happy about the fact they won the game. It was all about, he knew pretty much that if they'd have lost that game, it would have probably been the end for him at Southampton. So it's just that tiny little bit of confidence and that one win can make such a big difference. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Abdullah Decore says he is so happy to have Nigel Pearson in charge and believes Watford will survive relegation after their revival continued with victory over Wolves. It's a third win in five matches then under Pearson. The 2-1 victory lifted Watford to a point from Premier League safety with Pearson's 10-point haul eclipsing the combined total of his predecessors Javi Garcia and Kike Sanchez-Flores this season. Meanwhile, West Ham will be hoping David Moyes can have the same effect. Pearson is having at Watford and things started very brightly for them yesterday as they were 4-0 winners over Bournemouth at the London Stadium. David Moyes says he can't take the credit for West Ham's emphatic victory over Bournemouth as his second spell in charge got off to the best possible start. Do we think the expected new manager bounce for Watford and West Ham will keep both of them up this season, Molly? I think so. Um, I think it could well do just because in in the way they're going up the table, there's some teams that are coming down pretty quickly as well. Um, and I think yesterday was the the perfect 
first game for David Moyes um, and West Ham. You know, they, they've struggled at the London Stadium, um, particularly to, to score goals. Um, and Moyes has just come in. And Declan Rice was saying after the game, we spoke to him, and he, and he literally said, he came in and told us, you're not running enough. You don't run, you don't play for me. You don't work hard enough, you don't play for me. And it seems ridiculous that you can sit here and say that to the, these players that are earning so much money in a in a professional footballer that have been in, in this game for long enough now. You would think that's a basic, but clearly it isn't. And clearly you can get lulled into this kind of mediocrity and, you know, not really pushing to, to the to the most of your ability and then you know, Moises come in and you saw the reaction he had. Quite, quite simply, they did just run more. They wanted it more. They won the ball back more. Um, and that seems to have done the trick with the players. They're, they're happy with it. Um, they say that this is what they needed um, for Moyes to come in. And I think it's a, a similar case for Nigel Pearson. I mean, Declan Rice used the same example. He said, look what Nigel Pearson has done at Watford. You know, that that's the kind of approach that these managers can have um, and and that's certainly working for those teams and I think as we were saying about Arsenal earlier it's just whether they can continue in that fashion or whether it's just this little bounce and then they'll drop back because again you know there's a lot of games still to be played I, th- I think I think they're quite different cases actually I think that I don't think I said before I don't think West Ham are really in a relegation battle mm-hmm. I think I think they've they have a far better group of players than than most of the other teams in the bottom half of that the division, really, um, and I think in, in in Watford's case, I think the Pearson's arrival coincided with the return of Joy Deeney. That was big, and I think he's he's kind of a bit under, underestimated and un, under appreciated his uh, uh, Nigel Pearson's qualities. I think he's always been hugely respected by the players, any players group of players that he's managed. You know, Leicester players still talk about his work in crafting that team and the culture at Leicester City that won the league, I think they would probably regard what he did higher than what Ranieri did. That sounds ridiculous to say, but I think if you spoke to the players, they would say he he built that team mm. and Ranieri came in and changed very little, very, very minor t- kind of tactical tweaks. Um, so I think, you know, he's, he's, he has come in, he's been kind of quite no-nonsense and back to basics, but at the same time, it's, you know, You've got to work work hard. The collective is bigger than any one player because we've spoken before about Watford having players who often this season have looked like they're playing for themselves rather than the team. So I think he's clearing away with that. And there's results have been there. West Ham, Moyes is, <laughs> Moyes is like, like I say, I think it's a step step backwards. Well, I was going to ask, should, should a team ever go back to a manager that perhaps was never popular in the first place? No. I mean, I think... I think there's two things. I think Moyes, he'll do he'll do what it says on the tin. He'll he'll improve them, sort of make them harder to beat. I, I bet he'll even they'll finish mid table. Um, and but he's never going to inspire the fans. And it's a kind of damn pretty damning indictment on the owners and the leadership of that football club that they brought in Pellegrini, gave him about 170 million to spend in the last couple of seasons, uh, let him bring in a huge staff. Let him help choose a director of football, and then, what? Eighteen months later, they have to, at great expense, clear them all out and go back to the guy that that had, that he'd replaced. I th- you know, I think the the issues at West Ham go far beyond the manager and the man in the dugout. Moyes is a very capable manager, despite what 
you know, people will say after he's he's had difficulty since since Manchester United, basically. Um, but he's a capable manager. He'll organise them. He'll make them hard to beat, and I bet they'll finish mid table. But West Ham have still got kind of structural issues and sort of now that all those all that staff has gone and director football gaping gaping holes in the club again that need to be filled and sort of rectified. So Gregor is suggesting there, Molly, that. West Ham will stay up. Let's talk about the relegation battle. Despite Watford's improvement under Nigel Pearson, they are in the bottom three, whilst West Ham just sit two points above it. And with five points separating 11th place Everton and Bournemouth in 18th, it certainly promises to be a close-run thing in this season's scrap for survival. So having just passed the halfway stage of the season, why don't we be all doom and gloom and suggest who we think Happy New will... Year. I know, <laughs> lovely positive talk, <laughs> bringing it back down to earth and discussing who is going to go down from what we have seen so far this season. Molly, can you pick you three? Yeah, I think what what has been really interesting this season, I think, is the promoted teams have all come up and showed some really good football and been good additions to the league um the first one that I would say is definitely going to go down is is Norwich and I think that's the obvious one at this point which again is no is no slight on Norwich because they've come and played some really good football mm. I think it's just injuries have just kind of killed any hope that they would have had to really pick up points where they needed to um and looking at the table they already feel kind of a long way from safety just because it's so tight with the other teams that are fighting it out to try and stay up. Um, and, you know, as Gregor was saying, you've got teams like West Ham down there. And when you look at Norwich, Norwich's squad compared to West Ham, it's, there's a big difference there. Um, and then the other two teams, I would say Aston Villa, because I think they've I think they've dropped points where they should have won. That kind of lack of experience from the squad um, Feels like yeah, I think they played Arsenal when Arsenal were in a really bad run of form and came away with nothing when they could, they were kind of winning the game at one point and they've they've had a couple of those and they look really poor against Watford recently, who have obviously got that new manager bounce we ju- we just talked about, and then Bournemouth just because I mean it's ludicrous to say it if you think at the start of the season you you think they're almost established and a safe Premier League team now, but they just seem to be going backwards um, and they have just had a horrific luck with injuries. Just constantly, every game, there's just more and more. Um, and they kind of, I mean, they're struggling to score goals as well, which is always a problem. You've you've got Callum Wilson, but he's struggling. Dominic Solanke had a header against West Ham yesterday and I kid you not, it kind of hit his head and hit the post and it just summed up <laughs> their luck and his luck and just it just feels like it's not going in for them at the minute and, and suddenly they're, they're, they're going backwards. So you've gone for Norwich, Villa and Bournemouth to go down. Gregor, how does your three look? Uh, I'm going yeah, Norwich first. I think just they concede far too many goals. They did last season when they went up in the championship. and I think I said that at the start of the season. They have to, they had to rectify that and they didn't. And they have had injuries, particularly in defence. But I think there's too many individual sort of errors and players who aren't really probably quite good enough defenders for the Premier League. So um, I'd say Norwich. Um, I'm going Villa as well. I think you know they've conceded 37 goals, and only Norwich and Southampton, who obviously shipped nine against Leicester, have conceded more. Um, and I don't, yeah, I think Villa really it's kind of have wildly swung between sort of really good performance, and they're so reliant on on Jack Grealish to create something, a moment of magic, rather than sort of 
their system or their style of play or the the way that they they play as a team. They're just reliant on Grealish sort of conjuring something. Mm. McGinn's out injured, who's a big loss for them. Um, so yeah, I think I think Villa could be in trouble. And the last one, I really am struggling to choose. To be honest, I still don't think Watford are out of the woods. Mm. So you know, this has been a really good run and a great start for Pearson, but um, I don't think I don't think they're out of the woods. And I, I, Bournemouth, Bournemouth, I think it's between those two. I can't choose between those two. Bournemouth are. Are uh, are really struggling. It's the Eddie Howe said it's the worst. It's the kind of the most dangerous or precarious period of his his managerial career at yeah. that at the club, and it's understandable why. They're, if you look at their back four and uh, some players who've kind of the ones who came through from almost League One, and they're kind of tipping into their thirties, and and some of them aren't looking like they really should be still playing in the Premier League, to be honest. Um, and they have had a, a horrendous injury list, mm. but. Um, Something needs to change there, and and it's just whether it does or not. You know, we would have said Watford were doomed probably if we'd had this conversation a few weeks ago. Um, so, and Eddie Howe has done a remarkable job at Bournemouth. So you never know. I won't write them off. So I can't choose one end. <laughs> it is just one win in ten for Bournemouth, having lost eight of those in that run as well. Uh, it's interesting when you think about the Bournemouth situation. Um, and I I wouldn't want Eddie Howe to lose his job because he's done such a terrific job at Bournemouth, of course, but. You remember Sir Alex Ferguson has always talked about a cycle. You always need a cycle because things can become stagnant. Obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson was always talking about a squad rotation or a squad change. But nowadays, it seems to be a manager is more likely to be the to fall to fall victim. Sorry to to that squad cycle. Um, so you do wonder if if Bournemouth are going to survive, whether they do need to change things up when it comes to the manager. I find this very difficult, the bottom three. I'm going to quickly say who I think. I, I am going to go for Norwich as well, although I really enjoyed watching Norwich yeah. and loved them in the championship last season, thought they were brilliant. So I'd be really disappointed if they come down. My heart, I can't go against Aston Villa because of Dean Smith and our Brentford connection, <laughs> so I'm, I'm excluding them for that reason. Highly um, logical. <laughs> that's the only reason I can come up with. I just can't put them in there. Uh, I'm, I'm worried about Bournemouth, and I'm also worried about Burnley. They're very hot and cold. They'll win a couple, then they'll lose two or three as well. It's always win, loss, win, you know, that sort of rotation that they're on right now. And they're just not necessarily showing the Burnley that I feel like they should be showing right now so I'm a little bit worried about them but it's early days of course I've just realised we've got through a whole relegation chat without talking about Newcastle and Newcastle we've escaped no, I don't feel okay. like we can I think they'll be okay I think mm. Bruce is kind of he can organise them they've you know they've had a pretty tough time with injuries as well but I think I think they'll be okay personally finally to a fascinating piece on the Times online today and that's from Henry Winter and our very old dear friend, VAR. Concerned club officials are to talk to Richard Masters, who is the newly confirmed Premier League chief executive, about Mike Riley's handling of VAR, which has descended into a global embarrassment for the image-conscious league. Some want Riley dismissed and an alternative official appointed as the general manager of the Professional Game Match Officials Limited, which of course oversees VAR at Stockley Park. New Year's Day saw Jack Grealish have a magnificent header ruled out against Burnley for the trailing heel of Wesley, who wasn't involved in the move. And that was just one of a number of incidents over the festive season. The decision by PGMOL, especially when they reveal pictures of their drawn lines, triggered much derision. Players don't know whether to celebrate or not. The atmosphere in grounds turns toxic with groaning and goading following overturned decisions. Now, we have spoken a lot already about VAR on this podcast, but how do we think 
the ill feeling towards it is starting to come to a head right now. Where's this all going to end? Does it have to? Does it have to end with Mike Riley being sacked, for example? I'm not sure about that, but I think the festive season has just sort of underlined. There's so, been so many like, minutely kind of fine detail, such fine margins to these offside decisions. So many of them in, in a short mm. space of time, and it's just ridiculous. It looks ridiculous. I've still not really heard anyone come up with the solution, to be brutally honest. I think, you know, Graham Souness gave gave an, an idea of having the, the, the famous kind of daylight shout about. I, I think that gives too much sort of advantage to the attacker as well, personally. And I think it might also have the effect of making defenders drop even deeper, which is not conducive to an attacking game. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just another line to be drawn. It's it's kind of it's another the, the toe or the armpit can just be is <laughs> just moved somewhere else. Yeah. Um, spoken about a thicker line, uh, Jurgen Klopp has even uh, kind of backed that idea. Um, but again, the toe or the armpit has just been moved. So personally, I think we do away with, do away with the lines. Mm-hmm. I think you know. I think I think I think the MLS do that. I think if if you look at the replays and it's obvious that they're offside, then you give the offside. And if it's not obvious, it looks very tight, then you don't. And if it's really, really tight or marginal, then you can allow the referee to go to the to the monitor or the screen. Because, you know, that that is the one thing that really looks very bad for, for Mike Riley. It's that the these kind of the arrogance of sort of defying the, the, the FIFA directive to mm-hmm. for the referees to go to the it's the Premier League are gonna do this our way and it's not worked. And the optics as well of having these lines drawn on the screen in some kind of distant bunker in Stockley Park where everyone in the stadium is waiting, waiting around, it just looks horrific. So I think they need to do away with the lines and they need to start letting the refs go and look at the screens. Well, the FIFA president, Gianni Infantino, is not happy, is he, with the way that we are uh, using VAR. He feels that referees should be going to the monitor, for example, uh, and also with the situation with the flags being raised or not for offsides, for example. And it does seem strange that we're sli- we're following a different lead altogether over here. But but right now, Molly, it is in place and we are following the rules that the PGMOL have brought in. But it is all becoming rather farcical. I think I I tweeted a, like a week ago. I'm just so sick of it now. <laughs> Every single game, there's kind of it's like oh VAR check, and I think you know I think you're right. Part of the confusion is, you know, I was at the Women's World Cup and covered that, and that was one implementation. Then we we've seen in in the Champions League with the handballs, for example, that's a different interpretation of the rule to what we have in the Premier League. So then then you've got some flags. Some officials are supposed to flag for offside. Some are supposed to keep the flag down completely. And that whole is just overly complicating the rules. That we, we, The rules have always been there, and yet this is just making them so much more confusing for the average viewer. And I think that's what you have to remember. The average viewer that just wants to watch football is just really overcomplicating everything and making it really difficult. And I think, yeah, just, just scrap the lines. Scrap the armpits. You can't score with your armpit. You know, if, if you're going to go to that minute detail and if you believe that... You know, it's a whole other other argument about how how accurate the technology actually is. But yeah, let's just as, well, yeah. let's just assume the technology is accurate and this line is actually correct. At least do it on a foot or mm. you know something you can score with. The the armpit thing is just odd because then you're kind of leaning forward as you naturally run, and then you're going to kind of teach people to run a completely different 
Well, it's just it's but just a then mess. you could be facing backwards like Wesley was, and his heel was you know somebody else's heel was raised off the ground, and yeah. it wasn't. So you know this is the detail you're well, getting. That's into. just bizarre because that wasn't even Greenish's heel, was it? It was Wesley's heel. Yeah, so. and it looked like it was another face. So you know there are there are it's the rules actually. It's not it's not necessarily the. The VAR, it's it's yeah, it's the it's, the it's, it's the rules. It. The rules need to be looked at, and I. Although it is, it is if you if you were to get rid of the lines, then I don't think you really do need to change the rules. It's you know if we if you're going to keep it to be such a specific, you know, detailed, definitive as they as they hope, as, as Molly said, the technology might not be there, but if they want it to be that definitive, then they have to do something about the rules. Otherwise, leave the rules as they are. And scrap the lines, and if it looks obvious like it's offside, and if it's a really fine, if it's a really close decision, and they they want to leave it to the the referee, then let them go to the let them go to the screen because I think it's also something that supporters in the stadium would rather have the knowledge that the referee, the guy who's at the ground, the guy who's in the middle, of, you know, Mourinho said mm. <laughs> said the other day that the VAR should be the VR because he's not the assistant, he's the he's making the rules. He had a bit of a point. It's the referee is is being ruled ruled over from on high. I think the referee should, if it's very close decisions, he should still be the one who takes the decision. Mm. Well, I'd also like to to do what they do in Australia. Haven't we seen that footage recently of you actually being able to hear the conversations, which is possible, but because obviously the broadcasters do have access to what is being said, but we can't broadcast it due to specific rulings. Um, I think it'd be so so much better if we were to hear the decisions that are being made because even if we disagree with them still at least we can go well but that now we understand why the referee has decided to make that decision even if at the end of the day we still don't agree with it you can at least go well that was their subjective decision yeah anyhow VAR eh we the love joys. it happy yeah. new year we've happy still, new year we've still not got the jingle I think we need a jingle the VAR jingle VAR, oh, that would be <laughs> lovely uh, there's certainly lots of songs being sung in grounds about VAR but we cannot broadcast them <laughs> ok that is it for now many thanks to our guests today Molly Hudson and Alison Rudd remember you can subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times to enjoy award winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet it is just a pound a week for an 8 week trial search the Times subscription for more information we'll be back on Monday The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.